Thank you for um, the word that you've given, Phil, uh, for this day, for this hour. And we just pray that you'll work in him now and also work in us as we listen in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Claire. Um, Claire's a big birthday tomorrow. Um, big birthdays get bigger as you get older, so she doesn't look 40, sure she doesn't. So, uh, but happy new decade, and um, I think Robbie's birthday today, isn't it? Yes, Robbie's birthday today. Happy birthday, Robbie. Um, so, all the birthdays. It's been great, you know, last, just thinking this morning during worship, last Sunday was such a special time, last Sunday night. Um, baptized 10 people, and the guys headed off on a road trip. Um, Ryan and Robbie took the guys, the young adults, some of the young adults down around Sligo for a few days to begin the week um, just to pray and to meet with other church leaders. Then they did glow on Thursday. These guys must be busted. <laughs> um, but then they did glow Thursday and Friday, and they battled all the showers and the rain, and they're here to tell the story. So uh, let's, let's appreciate these guys for what they do, really. Mm. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll gather, we'll hear some of the stories um, and some of the pictures. We'd love to see that. But um, we are starting a new series this morning um, called From the Familiar to the Fascinated, the whole idea of encounters with the resurrected Lord, as many of you will know, um, in the Christian calendar. We are now entering this season between Easter and Pentecost, which is the season last 50 days, obviously, hence the name Pentecost, all right, um, culminating in Pentecost Sunday, which this year is Sunday the 28th of May, and that's going to be a really exciting Sunday. So on Pentecost Sunday, we will be hosting a new Pentecost event in Northfield that night up in the tent. So the tent's going to be up. The tent holds in around 1,200 people, and they're putting another wing on it for this year as well. And um, with other churches, um, just three weeks before the new festival on Pentecost Sunday night, you're all invited to that um, um, up, up there to worship together. Um, but basically what we want to do is we want to move through Pentecost in a posture of prayer, and the prayer room is now opened again, so you can sign up for uh, a prayer slot at any time. And I really believe that this is a significant season. I believe it's a si significant season for us if we use it well um, and uh, allow ourselves to be inspired by the challenges that you're going to hear over the next few weeks around the post-Easter um, post um, story. And that's the season, I suppose, where Jesus spent 40 of those 50 days sporadically meeting different people in and out. He would come, and then he ascended, and then 10 days after that, the Holy Spirit appeared on planet Earth and has been around ever since. Pretty awesome, isn't it? And I think we can learn something from these appearances that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. I think they can speak to us um, as individuals. This is what um, uh, Luke writes in Acts 1, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive um, uh, over the period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom um, of God. So, Jesus uh, 
you need to think about this. The death of Jesus was awful and it was devastating. And, and, but at least these people, now that Jesus was dead, could go back to what was familiar. They could go back to their dead jobs, back to their fishing, as many of them did. In the end, nothing needed to change too much. I'm sure their hearts were full of sorrow. But now he's alive. And because he's alive, it means everything is going to change. Everything. And it means everything's going to change for them and everything's going to change for us. And this is what many of the disciples found out. And that's what we're going to be looking at with Mary and Thomas and the two on the road to Emmaus, the disciples who were locked up with fear, Peter on the shore, on and on we'll go. All of these individuals had to deal with his death, but now they had to deal with his life after death, which is pretty awesome, all right? The firstborn human who has risen from the dead to lead a whole new way forward into humanity, which is very powerful. And when you meet the resurrected Jesus, you're looking at the victorious one who bears the scars of death. Remember he said to Thomas, put your finger into the print of the nail and put your hand into the wound in the side and see and believe. So this resurrected body of Jesus bears the scars of death um, which means the scars, our scars, don't have to define us because they're redeemed in him. And as you look into his face, you have this awesome realization that everything can be different. You begin to realize that Jesus will leave no stone unturned in your life or in mind. Everything will be made new. Your greatest fear, your um, deepest regret, your sense of shame that you carry, your biggest doubts, can all be made new. It's exhilarating news because the resurrection power that um, Jesus carries has broken into the world. And even before any of these encounters happened, the news began to break out. Uh, and those who heard it first could sense it. You could know something was happening. I love how everything's about to change. I love how Matthew's gospel puts it. He says that the angel said to the woman, um, the woman, do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. I love this little bit. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I imagine that was a reverential fear because um, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So um, they left with fear and great joy, and they ran <clears throat> to tell the disciples. Just imagine for a moment these women running. Imagine them running with resurrection in their bones. Imagine them shouting to one another, did this really happen? This is surreal, giddy with excitement, awakened at all sorts of possibilities, completely taken to the edge of themselves, being fascinated with what this could mean. Now, Robbie's going to be taking us into the garden to meet Mary um, next week. I was supposed to do that this week, and that was the plan, but I got carried away with the resurrection, and so text Robbie um, yesterday morning to make sure he hadn't started anything, and he hadn't, so he was going to do the two on the road to mess. But he really likes Mary, so, um, so I'm excited about that. And so he's going to be taking us um, into that encounter next week, so be ready for that. I'm looking forward to that, and so I don't want to steal his thunder on it either, but this is what these post-resurrection encounters will teach us. We want to be awakened out of what feels familiar into a fresh fascination 
with Jesus. It's what <clears throat> I've been calling the last few days resurrection wonder. The resurrection wonder. Imagine him smiling at us with a raised fist saying, we've got victory. He, he has conquered and he, he, he's asking us, are we ready to run with resurrection in our bones? And I was thinking about this, that you can imagine that all of the people who encountered Jesus after his resurrection knew him pretty well before his death. They were around him and knew him. They'd seen the miracles, the healings, the incredible love for the marginalized, and yet their encounters with the resurrected Jesus seem to have a whole new aura around them. Really, they're, they're filled with a fresh fascination and wonder, and rightfully so. And this is our deepest prayer, that in this season, and um, we would all encounter Jesus afresh, we would um, encounter the resurrected Lord, and that we would move from the familiar to the fascinated, all right, that we wouldn't just get around the familiarity of church. So, um, as I say, that's me finished in the garden. Robbie can pick that up next week. So, I want to ask this big question. I want to ask the question about what does the resurrection mean for us? Resurrection. What does it mean for us? What, is, what, what does that mean? Um, now, Paul, when he writes to the church in Corinth, many of the people in Corinth, there were Sadducees in Corinth, and Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. That's what made them Sadducee. Sorry, sorry, I was a bit sick, wasn't I? Sorry. Um, and they didn't believe in the resurrection, and so Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians 15, and he challenges them. He says, if Christ be not dead, you've got the whole thing wrong. You've, you've run amok, you know, and you're you're up the wrong road, and he there's a whole big section of that, and he finishes off <clears throat> that little section, and he says this in around verse 18 and 19. <clears throat> he said that if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. All of you, basically what he said is, if Christ isn't risen, all of you are going to hell. You aren't, you aren't saved, because it can't be such a thing, all right? And he says, even the ones who have, who have died, even the ones who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're gone, they're perished. If Christ be not risen, there's no hope for them either. And he says, if in this life we have hope, only have hope in Christ, basically what he's saying, if we just, if all we had was the, was the birth and the life and the death of Christ, he says we'd be most pitiful. Actually, something had to happen beyond that the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, and there's a man in the glory. Basically what he's saying is Jesus' resurrection would be the greatest comeback of all time. And um, Paul would pick up this in Philippians, and he would write this, and we're going to talk about this this morning and ask these questions because it's really important. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. So we're going to ask those two questions. The two questions are, what is knowing God? What does that mean? And what does knowing the power of his resurrection mean? All right? So first of all, knowing God. What does knowing God mean? Is it something that Paul just desired? And is it something that maybe we don't have to desire? Well, we could pedal back a little bit in Scripture, and we could jump back in around 600 years, or maybe just over 600 years, and we'd find an Old Testament prophet there called Jeremiah. 
And he writes in Jeremiah 9, and he says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise boast in their wisdom, or the strong boast in their strength, or the rich boast in their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to, see it, know me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So the things that we measure people by, you see it there, wisdom, strength, and riches. He's saying they're not bad things and wonderful if you have them all. That's great, not a bad thing at all. But he says there's more, there's more to it. There's knowing God is more important than riches and strength and wisdom. Knowing God is really important. And so if Paul in the New Testament wants to know God, and Jeremiah in the Old Testament, let's see what Jesus has to say. Because the prominence of knowing God carries over into the Gospels as well. And on the night prior to Jesus' death, um, he prays for his followers in John 17. And this is what he says to his father. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's talking about his father, God, and me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life, we can, we can get this. Eternal life is knowing God, knowing Jesus, and without knowing him, there's no true life. That's basically the bottom line. Now, we could go on into the epistles. Peter talks about this as well. He says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So there's something about the knowledge of God. I talk about this all the time. John 8, 32 says, we quote it and we misquote it. And you've heard me say this before, the truth will set you free. But it's not really fully the truth, all right? It says you shall know the truth. And so I always say, if you, if you don't get it in your head, sorry, if you don't have it in your head and you don't have it in your heart, then it's just a book. That's all it is. It's just leather and paper. And years ago, my first Bible is, my, I still have my first Bible that I had when I was a boy, and it was a big Bible back in the Brethren. They bought you a big Bible. It had to be big. And it's all, it's absolutely fallen apart. The, the binding's all gone, and it's all written over. And I was very precious about that Bible for years because especially when you're sitting in a row and there's other people around, you always open the place that you've wrote all over, don't you? It's like, you're a bit like Mr. Bean. You see the bit that I've done. And um, sometimes our pride can get into that. And, and so I decided years ago that I wouldn't just get attached to a Bible. And so, when, so and I don't throw them out. I've got a full shelf of worn out Bibles. They're just in a shelf. And then I just buy a new one. And I decided that I wouldn't get attached to my little notes and my Bible that I would get attached to the author. Because sometimes we write notes and we never look at them again. And so I decided that I would get attached to the author of the Word, that he would be the one that I would seek after. So this is really important. And this is what I think Peter is saying here. Our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory um, is really, really important. Now, um, John then makes a similar point in 1 John. He says this, we know that... Um, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. These are incredible verses. John is saying that we might know him. The purpose of the incarnation and knowing him is central to the gospel. 
So if the Old Testament says it, and the New Testament says it, and the Gospel said, and the letters said, and Paul and Peter and John and Jesus all agree that knowing God and knowing Jesus is central to our faith. That's, as long as we've got that grounded, that's really important. But what does knowing God mean? What does it mean? How do we know a person in part? We know people by physical presence, don't we? By physical relationship and presence and talking to people. That's how we relate in our minds. But how do we know Jesus? Because he's not there in flesh and blood before us. So how do we get to know Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Surely there's much more than just knowing facts about God. We can come into this deep personal relationship with God. Now, the the Greek term for know is the word yada. It's a very intimate word. It's, it's a deep covenantal word. So being chosen in Christ. Ephesians 1 talks about you being chosen. That's yada. God chose you. And he didn't choose you because you were rich. He didn't choose you because you were smart. And he didn't choose you because you were strong. Like Jeremiah says, he chose you because he chose you. <laughs> just because. Now, if you want to have a good conversation about election sometime, I'm up for that with a crown coffee. We could arm wrestle about election because whether you like it or whether you don't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God chose some and God didn't choose others. Romans 9 tells us that very clearly. And so, and so you're chosen. If you're in here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are yadad. This is what happened in Deuteronomy 7 when God spoke to the the children of Israel, and he said, I didn't choose you because you were a bigger and better nation. As a matter of fact, he said, you were the smallest nation of all. He said, I chose you because I loved you. Isn't that amazing? So he just chose you because he loved you. Out of all of the millions of people in the earth, he chose you because he loved you. That word yada is a very deep, intimate word. It's where we get our word for intimacy. It's actually where we get our word for sexual intimacy out of that word yada. All right, so Genesis 4.1, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. So, so it's a term of, of deep intimacy, all right? And so so surely we must know about him, but we need to learn about God. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Let's, let's journey into this a little bit. Well, I think three things you can do in part by listening. You can get to know God by listening to faithful preachers in God's Word. And I think that's important that we try to be faithful to the Word. And in part, in part, because we can say to people, well, you just need to read and pray more. And some people get a bit deflated by that because they think, is that it? I just need to read my Bible more and pray more. Is that how I get to know Jesus? There's got to be more to it than that. And that is, in part, that's really important. So regular reading and study of the Bible, and in part by witnessing the impact of God in our lives and in the lives of others. So those three things, in part, are really important. Listening to the Word, reading the Word, and witnessing about the impact in your life. But secondly, I, th I think we need to go beyond learning facts. We must cultivate our own relationship with him. And, and to do that, there's three quick steps that I think are really important. Well, first and foremost, it's, it's simple, isn't it? You need to put your faith in Christ. And, and when I say I put your faith in him, I, need, I mean really believing that he's a son of God and really beginning to act like you're his child. Instead of 
saying these things but not acting it out. Really believing that you that Jesus that God is, is Father, Jesus is the Son of God, you believe in the death of Jesus, you believe in the resurrection, it really did take place, and wanting him to make you into a new creation. So that's really important. Step two is prayer, spending time talking to God and spending time listening to God. Prayer isn't always just about you talking. All right, it's not a shopping list, not just a shopping list. It's about taking time to hear the voice of God. That's really important. And in prayer, you can share your joys, your frustrations, your sorrows. You're talking to the God of the universe, the God who cares. Talking to God builds a relationship with Him. And third is becoming a follower. And uh, listening as you pray, reading the Bible, being willing to follow, even when his commands don't seem to make sense, depend on God, even when his requirements don't even seem reasonable. And when you do this, um, when you step out in faith, he'll be there to support you because you see Jesus as a living, risen Savior. So I think these three steps are really important. So knowing God, knowing God in that aspect, really pursuing after God really is knowing God. How do we if, we, if that's about knowing God, how do we know the power of his resurrection? What does that do? Well, um, note that Paul doesn't ask God for more power. He, he asks God that he might know the resurrection power that he already has. Oh, that I may know God and the resurrection power. So he's not asking for more power. He's asking just that God would help him realize what he has. And Paul's first prayer in Ephesians 1 um, Ephesians chapter 1, he, 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 he sort of parallels this idea because he, he speaks three things to the church at Ephesus, the third of those being this one. He says his um, incomparable great power for us who believe, the power is the same, right, as his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly realms. Let me explain that verse. Basically, he's saying is, Jesus has given you the exact same power that he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. It's called kratos power in the Hebrew. Not that I am much good at Hebrew and Greek, but that's what it is. It means the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, right? All Christians have this power. All Christians have access to this incomparable great power, the resurrection power. And our, our, our job has to be to tap into this. All right, and, um, and, and so five things really quickly, five things, and then we're going to pray. Um, firstly, the resurrection power is the power to forgive sins. It's the power to forgive sins. Sin has a hold on us all. The old nature is still there even when we get saved, and so um, without God, we're slaves to sin, but Christ through his death and resurrection frees us from that sin. This is what Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says he delivered, he was delivered over to death because of our sins, right? But raised to life because of our justification. So he was, he was, he was handed over because, he was handed over for our sins, but he was raised to life because he finished the work. God could not have raised him to life if he hadn't have finished the work. If he hadn't have completely wiped out every sin, past, present, and future, God could not have raised him from the dead. So the very fact that God raised him from the dead issues us as justified, just as if I'd never sinned. 
It's, it's the most incredible thing. And, and had there been anything lacking in Jesus' sacrifice, if his blood had lacked the power to cancel it all, um, God couldn't have raised him. But the fact that he did um, is very powerful. So when the devil whispers to you and says, God could never forgive you because of what you have done, uh, think how terrible you are, and think of all the things that are going on in your head and in your life, you can whisper back to the devil, Jesus rose from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, I am justified because I believe in Jesus and I'm righteous in God's eyes. That is the power of resurrection. Now, it gets better. It gets gooder and gooder. All right? Here goes. Not only does it give us the power to have our sins forgiven, and I think this is where Christians slip up because I think they think, oh, Jesus died and forgive my sins but they don't walk into conquering the sin. Not only does it give the power to forgive the sins of my past, but it actually gives me the power to conquer the sin of my future. And this is really, really important, all right? This is important. The resurrection power does not end with our forgiveness. Christ's resurrection also empowers us to conquer it, all right? And this is what Paul again writes in Ephesians 4. He says, put on the new self. One of the talks that I love in Grow, one of the talks that I do in Grow is the first talk in Grow Out. So you've grow down, new believers grow down, then grow up looking at your identity. So looking at what you've put your faith in, looking at your identity as a child of God, and then now this is what you've got to do with it. And I do the first talk in that. And um, I, I, I bring out all of, the, all of the active verbs in the New Testament, absolutely full of them. When you begin to see what your responsibility is, is it, it's not just a, a sort of now the umbilical cord is sort of um, not just depending on the umbilical cord all the time. Now, now you've got to do something, and you see it here. Put on something you've got to do. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In Christ, we are a new creation. His Spirit lives within us. We've been renewed. We have a new self-image. We have a new purpose. We're conformed to the image of Christ. We become like Him, truly righteous, truly holy, to become what God intends us to be. So if this is the case, if this is the case, why do Christians keep on sinning? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul, I think, gives us the answer in that passage in Philippians. He says, you don't understand the power that you have, that you have the power to conquer sin. Satan loves to deceive us, make us think that we're still his and he uses habits ingrained in us over years to try and get us to believe him. But God gives us the power to break those habits. But we first must know that power. It's like sitting in your car without the engine started and thinking it's not going anywhere. And, and it's never going to go anywhere until you start it. And, and many of you believers are in God. You're in Christ. You've got saved. But you're sitting with the engine not started. You're sitting not realizing the power that's under the bonnet, the power to, to conquer sin. Not only does he give us the power of our sins forgiven, and not only does he give us the power to conquer that sin, he gives us power to be his children, to be his ambassadors, to be... Uh, it's not just about me. It's not just about now my sins are forgiven and I can conquer my sin. He's saying there's more. You can share it with others. You can actually start to be agents of change in the world. 
And so he writes this. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. He says he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. He's given you this message of reconciliation. And he says, therefore, as Christ's ambassadors, he says, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is using you and me to be the people of God. So God empowers us not just to defeat sin, but also to assure and display his message to the world. And then fourthly, there's just five of them. Fourthly, um, the power to be conformed to his likeness. Resurrection, power, greatest accomplishment is conforming us to his likeness. Have you ever watched people get older and watched them get better? And have you ever watched people get older and watched them get better? Because that's what you're meant to do. As we get older, we're meant to get better. We're meant to conform into his image. So the older, the longer you live, the more you should be like him. Those of us who are older, that's a challenge to us. We need to be like Jesus. That's the goal. And we're being transformed into his image. I Years ago, I came out of a very traditional background, and I remember I got saved as a boy, and the rules were, where I came from, the rules were you didn't smoke, you didn't drink, and you didn't go to the cinema. Those three things would damn you to hell forever. And, um, and uh, so as a boy, those, those were ingrained in my mind. And then I remember the first time I went to the cinema, and I thought, sure, the earth was going to, I thought, sure, the earth was going to open and swallow me up at the door. And, um, and, uh, and then I began to realize as a young believer that I wasn't that good at keeping rules. As a matter of fact, when I was at school, my, I, I went to a little primary school. There was only about 40 or 50 people went to it, and there was two classrooms, P1, P2, P3, and P4, in one classroom, and P5, and P6, and P7, in the other classroom. And both of those teachers told me that I was a hopeless drawer. As a matter of fact, Mr. McElroy told me, he says, Emerson, you couldn't draw people's attention. So um, that was his makeup of me. And they said that I, I couldn't draw because I couldn't keep within the lines. And I think it's been a bit of a story of my life. I'm never that good at staying within the lines. And, and, but here's the thing. Here, here's the thing about it. Um, I began to realize so much it's not about keeping the rules as it's about the direction you're going. And so I do this little thing. Every night going to bed, and I've done it for decades now, I, 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 I say to God, one of the last things I said to him every night going to bed, I said, God, I know maybe I've, 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 I've mucked it up a bit today, but I love you. I love you with all my heart. And uh, I just wonder, am I a little bit closer or am I a little bit further away? Because there's some days I make wrong choices and wrong decisions, my heart's not right, and so my, instead of my face being towards him, my back's towards him, and I'm going the wrong direction. And you feel like you know you're further away. And so the goal is to keep, our, to keep ourself in the right direction and make sure that we're being conformed to his image, that we're ever increasing every day, that we're becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ. That's the goal, all right? Um, so it's really important, into his likeness. Think of everything about yourself that you don't like. Think of all your habits, all the negative characteristics, the things that you've wanted to change, you've tried to change, and you can't change. God can deal with every single one of those things. There is no sin and there's no habit stronger than the power of God. 
You hear me? No help. Actually, I draw sometimes uh, temptation as a circle, and I draw a circle with a little gap. Because the Bible said, there's no temptation given to man beyond what you can endure. And sometimes you might have to go right around that circle to find the way out, but there's a way out. There is a way out. And here's the thing, we've got to know this, because God will deal with every one of those um, made in, uh, that are made in his perfect creation. And then the last one, um, the last one is this one, the power to overcome the devil. The power to overcome the devil. Um, the Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of that, it says that God has highly exalted him above every name. Not amazing that at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It was through his death and resurrection that Jesus was given a name that's above every other name. And if he's a name that's above every other name, then he has the power that is above every other power. I said it again because that was good. Um, uh, if he has the name that's above every other name, then he has the power that is above every other power. He is the greatest, all right? Jesus gives us, as Luke tells us, the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Knowing the power will make us exercise our rightful authority over the powers of darkness and we won't be afraid of them. So the fact of resurrection is central to true Christianity. The resurrection must be true if we're to know and we're to have that relationship with Jesus. And the resurrection must be true if we're to access the power which raised Jesus from the dead. And all of us have got to assume it. I have a story, I have a friend who had a really bad addiction for years and years and years. And I had known him for a lifetime. And he suffered really bad with addiction to alcohol. And... Um, I, uh, I um, took him to a place where it could help him. I felt it could help him. And so I, we were sitting in this meeting, and this guy, this guy says, John, not his real name, says, John, I, we can help you. We can help you. And he says, how, how can you help me? This has been going on for years, and I've tried this, and I've tried that. I've tried another thing, and nothing ever works. And he says, well, he says, John, the problem is, he says, what happens is people keep throwing you a rope. And he says, the, the, the rope's not long enough. <laughs> so people throw you a rope of sympathy. Ah, oh, well, you know, that, that's tough for you. And I know you've a lot going on in your life. People even throw you the rope of prayer. A prayer for you. <laughs> Sometimes we never do. Some people will even throw you the rope of money to try and finance, to try and find out how to, how to finance, how to resource. But he says, what we do, he says, we throw the ropes all away. And he says, the problem is, John, you're in a ditch. I'll never forget this. Because um, ditch is a great Irish word, isn't it? He says, you're in a ditch. And he says, so what we're going to do, he says, we're going to throw the ropes all away. And he says, this is what he done. He says, I'm going to jump into the ditch with you. And I was standing there thinking, well, he'd not be better getting him a ladder. This, this was going on. This what was going on in my head, you see. So um, um, I thought, I'd not be better getting him a ladder. So I never said anything. And... Uh, and, and John says to him then, he says, why would you do that? Why would you get into the ditch with me? He says, I love this. He says, because uh, he said, John, I've been in that ditch and I know the way out. I've been in that ditch and I know the way out. 
When Jesus died for your sin, he didn't actually just get you a ladder. He climbed into the ditch. He became a curse for us. Not unreal, Galatians 3. He became a curse. He became the most despicable, despised thing in the nostrils of God. I think it's the only way I can come to terms with Isaiah 52.10. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It's the only way I can get my head around that verse. At that moment when God looked at him and saw him as sin, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He became sin for you. He climbed into the ditch. You know why he climbed into the ditch? Because he knew that he was the only way out. And some of you have got yourselves into a ditch. And Jesus is the way out. Because he knows that ditch. Because he became that ditch. He became the curse. He became sin for us. And because he became it, there's a great story in Luke chapter 7. I need to finish up. But in Luke chapter 7, there's this amazing story where Jesus raises a widow's son from the dead. And he comes, the Bible tells us that he comes in this funeral procession and this, old, this widow is walking behind her son. This isn't the first time, by the way, because she's a widow. She's walked behind this hearse before, um, losing the love of her life. And now she's behind it again with her only son. And Jesus' heart is broke. He's drawn with compassion. I love somebody defined the word compassion sometime as um, European living in my heart. <laughs> and her pain touched Jesus' heart. And he went over and he touches the boy. Now, you've got to understand this in the Jewish culture. Jewish people never touched dead things because they came unclean. But Jesus was good at touching things that nobody else would touch. He would touch the leper. He would touch a dead boy. And he would speak life into this corpse. And I looked up the word touch. There's loads of Greek words for the word touch. But the word used there is a Greek word called thingano. All right, I think that's the right. And it means to manipulate or to control. It's not the touch, oh, come on now, you'll be all right. It's not the tender touch. It's the touch of manipulation or control. Um, my mom was a great lady. She died in 2009. She was one of my heroes. She was a legend of faith. Raised seven children, prayed them all into the kingdom. Hard worker. I'm the youngest of that crew, and her and I were very close. And one of the things I loved about my mum was her hands. She had rough hands. She worked hard, raised seven kids, helped dad start a business. And so her hands were, weren't, they weren't soft and squishy hands. They were workers' hands. And she would often grab my hand when we were praying or... I remember when a boy, I would get her to put her hand on my head. If I said, Mom, take my temperature. Back then, they didn't have gadgets, so this was the way they took your temperature. And I loved the feel of her hand in my head. There was something about her hands. And, um, and those hands were tender. When she would put her hands in my hand like that, there was a tender touch. But my mom knew how to use those hands differently, <laughs> as most moms do. Um, that touch of tenderness could also have a different feel. And, um, 
And imagine if you're a mom or a dad and your child was about to run onto a busy road. Imagine the touch. It wouldn't be, come on now, it wouldn't be the little tender touch. It would be, it would be this word. It would be that yank of, of pulling someone from danger into a place of safety. That was, that's the word that's used here. Pulling someone from danger into the place of safety. You ever see a mom do that? I love how moms can actually do that and smile. <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> it's like a smile, you know, through gritted teeth. And, um, but moms are great. And so my mom, could have, my mom could have used the tender touch, but she knew how to do the other one. She knew how to give your arm a good yank as well. But some of those times she was pulling me from danger to safety. And that's what God, is, that's, what, that's what resurrection power does. Resurrection power pulls you from a place of danger into a place of safety. And, um, and, and I, I love that, that resurrection power. I love that resurrection wonder. Jamie's going to come up and we're going to pray a little bit here just for the last five minutes. It's 22 and we'll finish in time. But I'd love just to pray because... I reckon there's things going on in your life today that you've, you've no control over and you're not dead sure how to control thoughts, habits, struggling in a marriage, sickness in your body, a pain in your heart, something going on that, that you've just wondered how, how, how you can get tabs in this thing. And today what I'm doing, and that's why Robbie's going to go to the garden next week with Mary. Today what I'm trying to do is show you, lay a bedrock for this whole series to say that we have this resurrection power. This same thing that opened Mary's eyes in the garden. This same thing that opened Thomas's doubting soul. This same thing that brought Peter from a place of, of, of dereliction to a place of comfort and unity was resurrection power. And you have it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't, you should get it sorted. ASAP. ASAP, please. All right? Not a lot of time left. And I'm not a prophet of doom. But eternity is long. And eternity is near. And nearer than what you think. Because in such a day as you think not. The Bible says. The Son of Man comes. And you're all thinking you're okay and you've loads of time. But on such a day as you think not, the Son of Man comes, and he come like a thief in the night. That's the Bible says. And so I'd love us to do anything. I'd love us to close our eyes just in the last couple of minutes. And if you'd love me to pray for you this morning, if you're in a place of just sickness in your body, pain in your heart, a habit that's been skirting around the edges of your life and you hate it but you just can't seem to get authority over it, then this is the place for you this morning. I'd love you to stand your feet. I'd love to pray for you just, and then we'll get everybody to stand and we'll close in prayer in a moment. But just jump to your feet if you would and just as a an act of declaration this morning that um, I am not going to allow this thing. This is this is this is the day. This is the day that I'm going to walk out of that prison. This is the day that I'm going to walk out of that torment. This is the day that this thing is not going to control me. 
anymore. This is a day when my life is not going to be known by this. It's going to be known by something else, a child, an ambassador of God. This is the day that God is going to yank you out of a place of, of, of danger into a place of safety. Now, when my mom did that, I felt it. And you'll feel this. And I love the story in Mark 5 of the woman with the issue of blood. It says that when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, said that she knew in her body, she felt in her body that she was healed. And so God, right now this morning, I want to pray for every person standing in this room. I want to pray that this will be their day of victory. I want to be that this, I want to pray, God, that this will be the day that not only will they know God in a whole new way, but they will know the power of the resurrection. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Living in you. Living in you. Start exercising the power. Start exercising the authority. Stop living in a shack when dad lives in a castle. Move in. Move in. As a child of God, as a son, as a daughter of the king, move in. No longer are you going to live under this dark cloud of of depression. No longer are you going to live under this 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 torment of addiction. No longer are you going to live with this sickness in your body. And I know doctors and surgeons and nurses are amazing and thank God for the systems we have. But thank you today for the great physician for Jesus. There is a balm in Gilead, folks, that makes the wounded whole. And there's a balm in Gilead today to heal every broken heart, to heal the sorrow and the pain and the loss and the grief and the depression and the sickness and the addiction. We break its power in the name of Jesus today. And I pray as a father in this house, just a, a wave of the Holy Spirit. We pray that ancient prayer of old, come Holy Spirit right now. And we just pray a moving of the power of the Holy Spirit over every person in this room. Maybe everybody will stand now, would you not just stand as a, as a declaration of of comfort to the folks who have stand. You haven't seen them, I have, but they've been standing as a, a declaration of faith today. And God moves to faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews says. And so God responds to faith. He always does. He responds to faith. So just by making that stance today, it's not silly. It's a very, very powerful thing because while people's eyes were closed, and I know I could see, God seen. And God moves to the activity of hearts and he moves to the activity of faith. And so I'm saying to you, and I'm being bold right now, and I'm saying, expect results. Expect results today. Expect to begin to know God in a whole new way. I sense even that God's moving. Some would give a word after the first service about anger. Some of us in the room may be dealing with anger and God may be trying to release you from that today. And um, someone else gave me a word about uh, relationships where, where 
almost like some relationships are dead and God wants to restore and bring life into that. And if that's you, then reach out in faith and grab it today. So God, just come and we just seal your word into every heart. Thank you that um, the power of knowing you and knowing the power of your resurrection is something that sets us free. Forgiveness of sins, conquering sin, becoming your child, helping us to be ambassadors and giving us the power over every work and every desire of the enemy. Thank you today that he is defeated, he is dethroned, he is denounced, and he is defeated in Jesus' strong name. So bless your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen.